This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Will conservatives please stop arguing against gay marriage? Welcome to the program. Before you choke on that sip of coffee you probably took before tuning in today and before you fall out of your chair and say, is Clark going soft? Uh, what's going on here? Is, is he being brainwashed into the left's way of thinking? <laughs> no, not hardly. What's happening in this debate, and I'm going to touch on, I'm going to delve into this, this, this gay marriage uh, issue, these shark-infested waters, because I'm seeing a pattern that is employed by the left as they continue to deconstruct our constitutional republic and shape it into their socialist vision for America. And I know how they're doing it. And as I continue to tell you, read Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. It is their playbook. It'll tell you precisely how they go about the revolution. And one of the rules that that, that uh, Alinsky professes is he reminds his disciples that the Issues are not the issue. The issues or the issue is the revolution. So in other words, he's saying don't get caught up in these nuances of issues. The issue is the revolution. And that's what's happening with this gay marriage uh, question that uh, is being shoved down our throats. See, for me, gay marriage is not about whether same sexes should be able to marry because I really don't care about that. And that doesn't mean that I'm for it, but I just, I don't, I'm not going to allow the left to take me down a rabbit hole and get me all tangled into this argument about whether same sexes should be able to marry as they're deconstructing our constitutional republic. See, for me, it is about how the Supreme Court of the United States, in their decision about gay marriage, obliterated the United States Constitution. They acted like an oligarchy and forced a definition on us that the states did not ask for. We were having that discussion state by state on the issue of gay marriage. I believe it's a states' rights issue. And eventually, like we did with ending slavery, we may very well have gotten there on the question of same-sex marriage when all of a sudden, five unelected justices ended the debate, obliterated the constitutional process, thereby instead of leaving this decision to we the people, they shoved it down our throats. The constitutional process was shredded. That is a very slippery slope, folks, that will undoubtedly serve as precedent now for the Roberts Court. Remember, with that decision, John Roberts determined that words have no meaning. Let me give you an example. The United States Supreme Court did not end the institution of slavery, nor did they end women being refused the right to vote, women's suffrage. 
we had vigorous debate and discussion in legislatures elected by we the people. And within those states, we ended slavery and gave women the right to vote with the 13th, 14th, and the 19th Amendment. 13th and 14th dealing with slavery and and the 19th dealing with women's suffrage. Hell, that's how we enacted and ended prohibition, for heaven's sakes. The United States Supreme Court did not change that by some Supreme Court ruling. The constitutional process works. We had one amendment that prohibited the sale, possession, and manufacture of alcohol. And then we had another constitutional amendment, not a Supreme Court decision, that repealed prohibition. Now I understand it may be slow and messy for some to do this through the constitutional process, but that protects us against, as the Declaration of Independence says, it protects us against light and transient causes. In other words, whims, where we just get some, some you know, harebrained idea and all of a sudden we start uh, amending the Constitution. So we make it slow. They made it slow on purpose and they made it a messy process. But when we are not guided by the constitutional process, liberty is threatened. Let's look at the slavery issue a little deeper. When ending slavery was being divided in this country, we had free states and we had slave states. Those opposing slavery built a coalition to create a watershed moment, a tipping point away from slavery. It was messy. It was long. And it was very bloody. But when it happened, it happened through the constitutional process, the 13th and the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. There were periods of time when people tried to get the United States Supreme Court involved, Plessy versus Ferguson. But you know what? I go back to the Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, and it says... All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. It does not say all legislative powers are vested in a United States Supreme Court. But that's what we're we're doing here. We're always turning these decisions over to the Supreme Court and we're asking them to decide instead of through the constitutional process, through the Congress. It says Congress has legislative authority, not the United States Supreme Court. So I'm not buying this stuff about the Commerce Clause that got us to government-run health care or the contorting of the 14th Amendment to get us to a definition of marriage. It is not the constitutional process. Because in this country, if we want to give additional 
rights to people not talked about in the United States Constitution, then we need a 28th Amendment. Not a United States Supreme Court ruling. And that's what bothers me about the gay marriage issue. Remember, the issue's not the issue. The issue here is the destruction of our constitutional process. And I find those decisions coming out of the United States Supreme Court pretended legislation. I think it's illegitimate. And I don't want to hear that, well, it's the right thing to do or the time has come. Well, then do it through the constitutional process if it's the right thing to do and do it through our constitutional process or amending up if the time has come. Amend the Constitution. Because if you think this totalitarian tyranny that we're experiencing right now will stop at forcing people to buy a product like health insurance or defining marriage, if you think this totalitarianism will end here, then you're naively mistaken. This is exactly how the left will obliterate the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Eighth, Tenth, the rights of the states. I mean, that one's already being done right before our very eyes. Is this what we want? It's not what I want. Stop arguing about gay marriage. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. My house is strewn with just things my wife decided she wanted to do and then didn't follow through on. My mom was, same thing. My dad put up with this stuff and my mom was prolific with failed hobbies. I mean, when it comes to failed hobbies, she was quite a success. She was, I mean, if her hobby is failed hobbies, she stuck to it. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I ended the last segment talking about totalitarian tyranny and totalitarianism as the foundation of the left's movement to transform this nation, this great constitutional republic that values freedom and liberty, to transform that into a socialist state. I want to get a little deeper into this totalitarianism because that is what we are up against right now that is what we're going through that is what the the left's transfer, uh, transformation is it's totalitarianism i'm going to read from saul alinsky's rules for radicals rule number 10 you may know alinsky's a means and ends guy and he talks in terms of all of this stuff uh, in terms of the revolution is Marxist, is Leninism, about ends and means. And the 10th rule of ethics, of means and ends, and I'm reading right from the book, is that you do what you can with what you have and clothe it with moral arguments. And the left is very good at it. You clothe it in moral arguments. What did we hear about Obamacare? 
government-run health care. Everybody deserves affordable, quality health care. That's a moral argument. How did they approach the gay marriage issue? They cloaked it in a, or as a moral argument. Moral arguments are very hard to defeat. Let's take a look at a moral argument from our side. When I say our side, I'm talking about conservatives. Abortion. Right to lifers. Pro-life people cloak, cloak that argument as a moral one. It's very effective. They're very good at it, by the way. My hat's off to the pro-life movement. Cloak it as a moral argument. Very hard to argue against. The left struggles every time the issue of abortion comes up. I think it's an effective way for us to defend and protect the Constitution, the Second Amendment. Cloak it as a moral argument. But I want to get into modern liberalism, which is conduct without borders. I want to show the parallels between modern liberalism and totalitarianism. What the left is trying to do is to establish a master narrative. And if you do not profess abject servility to that master narrative, you are beheaded, metaphorically. No different than what ISIS is doing. You're metaphorically beheaded. Maybe you don't actually get your head cut off, but it's in the form of having your business shut down. Because you don't want to serve an event, an event, not people, an event, they focus against your religious belief. The left uses the power of the federal government because they do have the power right now, but they'll take the United States Department of Justice, they'll bring them in, and they'll sue you in federal court, close down your business, fine you, and basically fire you from your job because you want to exercise your religious freedom. That's totalitarianism. And the same people who are complaining about Donald Trump are the same people to this day who disparage the reputation and character of Tea Party activists. The Tea Partyists, all they are are individuals with an opposing viewpoint. Look at the names that they call the Tea Party or the member or people who engage in that political activity. These are American citizens. But the left took a Tea Party person, turned it into a pejorative, and they've been collectively smeared as racist, homophobes, Islamophobes, and they were all xenophobes. I mean, 
I have to ask you this question. Where do the liberals, when have the liberals ever, in this modern liberal, uh, liberalism movement, where and when have they ever made room for a dissenting viewpoint, an opposing viewpoint, a view that they don't agree with? It's an easy answer. Let's not waste time. The answer is never. Go ahead, give me two examples. Hell, I'll take one example of when the left has made room for an abusing viewpoint. They see an an opposing viewpoint as an affront, a threat to their totalitarian mind view. They see it as a threat that needs to not be opposed, but purged, destroyed, much in the same way that any other totalitarian regime or movement marched through a nation. What I like to call it is intellectual cleansing. And I liken it to ethnic cleansing. The same kind of cleansing that was done by Nazism, fascism. It's the same type of cleansing being done by Islamofascism, where if you don't adhere to the Muslim faith, you're beheaded. Folks, we're in the midst of a culture war. And many of you know that. You probably wouldn't tune in, although I suppose there are those tuning in on the left looking for that moment, that gotcha moment, to take my words and contort them, and that's that metaphorical beheading that I talk about to try to destroy me. And all I have to say to them is good luck. Good luck with that. But this is a culture war that we're in, and it has to be defeated. We... On the right, we conservatives have to win this culture war, and I'm willing to fight it. You know, I, I, I really get a kick out of how you know this modern liberalism movement, this totalitarian tyranny. You know how I talk, or when I said the, 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 the ends and means rule of, of, of establishing something and cloak it in a moral argument. You know, they love to use this term, and it's a moral phrase, right? Bringing people together. We need to bring people together. Whenever I hear the liberal media talking about, talk about needing a candidate for president who can bring the country together, I say, yeah, here's what you mean by that. You, 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 you want somebody who will bring this country together to your orthodoxy, your point of view, with no room for dissent. That's your view of bringing people together. What we're going to do is continue this in the next segment. I want to talk about this issue of of, uh, dissent because it's very important. (laughs) 
David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. In the mainstream media, this deal guarantees, and we are the guarantors. Irony of ironies. You want a gruesome irony? Here's one. We are the guarantors that Iran will have nuclear weapons. They won't necessarily have them tomorrow or in six months or in a year, though they could easily have them. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I want to get into this area now of dissent in a democracy. And I want to start by reminding the left that dissent on issues like immigration, big government, government takeover of health care, climate change, gay marriage. This dissenting viewpoint is what we used to allow in a democratic state, a constitutional republic, and it's being taken away from us. These are issues of freedom and liberty, which is why I remind you, and we talked about it earlier in this, this, this episode, about how the issue is not the issue, the revolution is the issue. So for me, it would be freedom and liberty are the issue. It's not about the science of climate change and, and, and what the immigration policy should be. It's freedom and liberty. Is defined in the Constitution of the United States. And that's why I advise people, warn, if you will, don't let the left take you down a rabbit hole, but a moral argument. Because that's what that's designed to, designed to do. It's designed to deflect and distract you while they're deconstructing our Constitution Republic, our Republic and replacing it with their socialist agenda. So we're losing this need to be able to dissent in a democracy. I mean, even for the other side. I don't believe in a totalitarian conservative agenda. We need opposing views and counter views in this country to balance that stuff so that we don't become a totalitarian state. I like debate and discussion. It's healthy. And then we'll let the people decide in the end. But we're losing that ability to dissent. You know, as a result of this totalitarian liberalism, this tyranny that's happening before our very eyes. And to many of us with that opposing view, we seem either, you know, sometimes I look and we seem resigned to either keep quiet or shut up, keep our views to ourselves. We need to be screaming from the mountaintops in dissent. That's what the patriots did. That's what the founding fathers did. Many of them died for this right, this freedom and liberty. We're just going to kind of, well, you know, they can make life difficult for us. Well, let them make life difficult for us. So, you know, sometimes we, we lament for a while and 
And like Judge Robert Bork said, and then in the end we acquiesce. And I ask, what the hell is wrong with us? Meaning conservatives on the right. What's wrong with us? I mean, history is full of examples. Nazism, I talked about this before. Fascism, totalitarianism. And I ask, do we have the will to fight back? And then I really ask, do we really? Because I'm not seeing it but for a few examples, like this judge in Ohio who recently refused to perform uh, gay marriage due to his religious beliefs. And now, you know, people are calling for him to resign over his religious beliefs. Not over performing gay marriage. Remember, the issue's not the issue. The revolution is the issue. And this guy is in the way. Or how about the bakery owners who are doing the same thing? And now one uh, such owner is looking at $137,000 in fines and, and, and being shut down. And again, I want to make this clear. This isn't about gay marriage. Gay marriage is the shiny object away from the construction of a liberal totalitarian state. So please, folks, you know, as we as we move forward with this counter revolution to this totalitarian movement, and we have to do it. But, you know, I want to advise you to peel back the layers, drill down into this movement and see it for what it really is because if we're going to be effective in countering it if we're going to be effective with counter arguments countermeasures we have to know what their true objective is because if we don't we'll get dragged into these rabbit holes around moral arguments i see modern liberalism conduct without borders as a threat to liberty an assault on freedom in the United States of America. Now, let me get back to dissent and how dissent is at the core of liberty in this country. It always has been. It's our freedom to defend, uh, to dissent against a prevailing orthodoxy that gives us these United States of America. And we're going to stand by and let it be taken from us by the left? By these liberals? Well, I'm not. I mean, don't forget, it was dissent that got women the right to vote. Women finally said enough. It was dissent that ended the institution of slavery in this country. Finally, the abolitionists and their supporters said enough. It was dissent that gave us a representative democracy instead of being ruled by the temperamental whims of a king. And we're going to let our ability, our freedom to dissent against modern liberalism be silenced, be quashed, I mean, really? Well, I'm not. Folks, I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue to be that voice of dissent. And I'm going to 
dissent loudly. Even when this leftist movement demands silence from me. I mean, as, as the great patriot Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Those seven little words mean a lot to me because I want to live free. Don't forget, when my ancestors came over to this country, we came over in chains. We weren't free. And now that that freedom has been given to me, I cherish it a little closer than some do. Because as a black man, you know, our our freedom came later on. It came well after 1776. But it came nonetheless. And I thank God that this country got it right. And that's the brilliance of the Constitution. You've heard me say that. It's not a perfect country. It's not a perfect world. But they built in room for amendments to get it right. And most of the time, get it right is what we do. So I say the left is going to have to kill me, even if it's metaphorically, before I shut up and get on board. We're going to continue this discussion on this issue of dissent because (laughs) I'm telling you, once we lose our ability or our right or freedom to dissent in this country, no matter what political persuasion you are. There were nothing more than a totalitarian regime. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Chapo Guzman is the closest thing that there is today to a Pablo Escobar. And he is the guy who just escaped from this high security prison in, in Mexico. This is a really scary guy. We talk about a, a drug cartel and criminality and it's Mexico, but this is all filtering into the United States. We are the market. We are the country that has to deal with the fallout of a completely corrupt Mexican government. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I want to read from a column that I came across. It's by uh, Tom Nichols. He's a professor professor of national security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College and an adjunct professor in the Harvard Extension School. It's entitled, The New Totalitarians Are Here. Totalitarians want their rule and their belief system to be accepted and self-sustaining, even if it takes bludgeoning every last citizen who disagrees. There's a basic difference in the traditions of political science between authoritarians and totalitarians. People throw both of these words around, but as is often the case, they're using the words they may not always understand. They have to have real meaning, however, and the difference between them is important. Simply put, authoritarians merely want obedience, while totalitarians whose rule is rooted in an ideology, I would say modern liberalism, want obedience and conversion. Authoritarians are a dime a dozen. 
Totalitarians are rare. The authoritarians are the guys in charge who want to stay in charge and don't much care about you or what you're doing, so as long as you stay out of their way. They are the jefe, Spanish for chief, and it's thugs in a brutal regime that wants you to shut up, go to work, look the other way when your loudmouth neighbor gets his lights punched out by goons in black jackets. Live or die, it's all the same to the regime. Totalitarians are a different breed. These are the people who have a plan, who think they see the future more clearly than you, or who are convinced they grasp reality in a way that you do not. They don't deserve themselves, or they don't serve themselves exclusively. They serve history, or the people, or the idea, or some other ideological totem that justifies their actions. Let me pause for a minute. Remember what I said? The revolution, the issue is not the issue. The idea, or some other ideological totem. Back to the column. They want obedience, of course, but even more, they want their rule and their belief system to be accepted and self-sustaining. And the only way to achieve that is to create a new society of people who share those beliefs, even if it means bludgeoning every last citizen into enlightenment. That's what makes totalitarians different and more dangerous. They are totalistic in the sense that they demand a complete reorientation of the individual to the state and its ideological ends. Remember when I said ends and means? Every person who harbors a secret objection, that's what I call dissent, or even so much as a doubt is a danger to the future of the whole project, and so the regime compels its subjects not only to obey, but to believe. This is what George Orwell understood so well in his landmark 1984, the novel. His dystopian state doesn't really care about uh, Cutodian obedience. It already knows how to get that. What it demands and will get by any means is a belief in the party's rectitude and in its leader, Big Brother. If torturing the daylights out of people until they denounce their loved ones is what it takes, so be it. That's why the ending of the novel is so terrifying after the two rebellious lovers of the story are broken and made to turn on each other. The wrecks left by the state are left to sit before the leader's face on a screen with only one emotion still alive in the husks of their bodies. They finally truly love Big Brother. Americans are getting too comfortable with thought control. I've gone down this road of literary and academic exposition because I fear an increasing number of my fellow Americans are at heart becoming totalitarians. Now by this, I do not mean America's creating Nazi, Nazis or Stalinists. It's true, of course, that both Nazism and Stalinism were species of the genius totalitarian, but both have since died the deaths they deserve. I mean that ordinary people and not a few opinion and thought leaders are adopting the same insane belief that human minds can be molded and shaped and made to think, um, made to think in new ways by sheer force. Yes, I mean people like actor George Taki and his odious attacks on Justice Clarence Thomas. Taki called Thomas a clown in blackface and said Thomas had abdicated his status as an African-American. Also, much like 1984, some of the journals ostensibly committed to liberal thought have already tried to scrub their pages of Taki's comments and co-sign the matter to the Orwellian memory hole. I also conclude, or include people like Quartz.com, a journalist, Meredith Bennett-Smith, who disagrees with writer Kathy Young about sexual conduct codes 
on U.S. campuses and thus wants the Washington Post never again to publish this horrendous rape apologist. Uh, this rape apologist young in its pages, pardon me. This isn't political debate or even name-calling. This is the incendiary dehumanization of an African-American judge and a female writer. I grant that overall American political debate on all sides has become nastier and less tolerant. What makes these kinds of attacks, however, smack of totalitarianism, and I could reel off dozens more examples, but your computer would run out of pixels, is that people like Taki and Bennett Smith are lighting their torches and demanding rough justice even on issues they've already won. In other words, it isn't enough that Thomas was in the court's minority or that no college in America is, is, is bothering to listen to Young. They want Thomas and Young silenced, stripped of their status in their peer group, and to recant even after being defeated in public on the issue at hand. That's terrifying because it means that for a fair number of people in what's supposed to be a democracy, winning in any normal political sense simply isn't enough anymore. They're not really trying to capture something as pedestrian as political equality, nor are they satisfied if they get it. They are not really seeking to win in the courts or or a legal solution or a negotiated settlement. Those are just all merit badges to be collected along the way to a more important goal. What they really want and what they in fact demand is that you agree with them. They want you to believe. It's not enough for these Americans to say, I've had my day in court and prevailed. In effect, they now add, you do not have the right to hold a different opinion, even if you lose in the public arena. You may not hold on to your belief as a minority view or even as a private thought. And if you persist and still disagree, I will attack you without quarter and set others on you to deprive you of your status in your profession, of your standing in your community, and even of your livelihood. This attitude promises social welfare without end because there is no peace to be had unless the opposing side offers a sincere and unconditional surrender. It means that the people on the left, taking Bakers to court, de-Africanizing Justice Thomas, and making Young an accomplice to rape will not be satisfied with winning, for the new totalitarians prevailing in the courts or at the ballot box isn't enough if there's still a suspicion that anywhere, anyone anywhere might still be committing thought crime. Most of all, they do not want you, present reader, to even think about agreeing with people like Thomas or Young. By attacking everyone in the public sphere, from judges to writers, they're sending a clear warning that there's plenty of room in the bonfire. It is a vow that you will be held to account for your personal thoughts, even if you've already been defeated in a democratic or judicial contest. No, even after losing, you will be forced to admit the error of your your ways. You must accept that you have sinned. You must discard your own values and accept the ideas of your betters. You must denounce yourself for undermining the construction of a better world. You too must love Big Brother. Wow, again, that was Tom Nichols, professor of uh, national security affairs at the United States Naval War College. That's what I've been talking about this entire segment. That's the danger that lies between modern liberalism and their totalitarian regime. We're out of time for today. Thanks for joining me. Hope to see you or hear from you, uh, that you tune in again next week. And remember, during the week, you can follow me at Sheriff Clark on Twitter, C-L-A-R-K-E. 
and at the peoplesheriff.com. God bless. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.